Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hi there, I'm Jake Humphrey and this is the Premier League Tonight podcast. Premier League Tonight is live on Saturday at 8pm, but if you miss the show for any reason, you can catch up anytime and anywhere on iTunes, Acast and all the best podcast providers. I was joined this week at Stamford Bridge after Chelsea versus Man City by Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard to debate the day's major talking points. Remember, if you want to get involved in the show as one of our fan pundits, then please email btsportfanpundit at gmail.com. Right, here are the best bits from our day in West London. Enjoy. Have we just seen Man City's best performance under Pep Guardiola? Uh, of what I've seen, yes, I believe so. And, and you put into the mix that it's against Chelsea away from home. You can, you can beat teams 5-0 at home, maybe at the bottom of the league, but to come here and put on such an impressive yeah. display on the ball was, was as, be- as good as I've seen. Yeah. OK, we've spoken plenty about City and about Chelsea as well, but this is the kind of thing we're going to be talking about now. And it has been another brilliant day for Harry Kane. He has loved September, having not really liked August too much. Another couple of goals for him. We'll talk later. Is there a better informed striker in the world? at the moment. Share your thoughts on that. And what about this man? Marouane Fellaini was the most tweeted about player in the Premier League today. We will discuss his resurgence under Jose Mourinho. Manchester United winning again. And Hi-Ho Silva, two down to draw two all. Watford, under that man, are rejuvenated, sitting fifth in the Premier League at the moment. Incredible, above Liverpool and above Arsenal. But right now, let's hear from Adam McCola from the full-time Devils, a huge Manchester United fan. He'll get the show going. Adam, the floor is yours. Yes, so we're outside Old Trafford after another 4-0 win for Manchester United. Absolutely delighted with that. Maro Wanfalani with a man of the match performance. Where did those goals come from? Um, first brace in a while for him as well. Romelu Lukaku notched another goal and uh, it was comfortable for Manchester United today. They're looking good indeed. Um, what's the deal with Marouane Fellaini? People still seem to struggle to accept him as a Manchester United player. When he has a great game, there's hundreds of tweets about everyone being surprised. When he doesn't have a good game, you know about it on social media. But with all due respect to Marouane Fellaini, in terms of the way he plays, he's not got that free-flowing style where you associate with a lot of Man United attacking players in the past gone by. So people probably compare him to that. But what he is, is he's effective. When you, you get, him, get him the ball into the opposition's box, he's aggressive, mm-hmm. his elbows are out, he hurts you, and he puts the ball in the back of the net. He does all the nasty things very well. And he, he's someone who teammates appreciate sometimes more than football fans. What's he like to play against? He's horrible. Is he? He's an handful. Um, even when he was at Everton, he played a little bit further forward. He used to back in and he'd get flick-ons, he'd hold the ball up. Um, I think the key here is the manager loves him. Uh, he's always going on record, praising him. and I think he's been quite clever keeping him as a plan B because sometimes you can try all the class and all the nice bits, but sometimes you need to go ugly, you need to go direct, you need to have a plan B. and He's certainly United's plan B and he's very effective. How did you find him? Uh, yeah, a handful. Strong. Yeah. One of those. I think he's improved. I think he's improved as a player. I think Everton, he had, I've had that role where he kind of stood on the edge of the box and sort of chested it off to everyone and then got in the box. Now I think he's got an all-round game and I think Mourinho's definitely made him feel like he's a big part of the team. And what that is down to is hard work. Yeah. He, he, he joined the club when I was still there for a year. I played with him and, and what he did do, no matter if it was going good or it was going bad, 
he was in the gym, he was outside extra after training, putting in them extra hours, and he's getting his rewards now. And you've all said elbows out, he's, been a, he's a handful, he's a pest, he's a good plan B. Is he now better than that? Or is that still what he is for Manchester United? I think he's in good form, his confidence is up, he's playing for a manager that believes in him. And, and I think now in this Manchester United team, there's better players around him. Um, you know, Mourinho's brought in big physical players and he suits that style. Um, and, you know, not just him, Lukaku, Matic, you know, on set pieces, United are a force now as well. Well, let's hear actually from Jose Mourinho, who spoke about Marouane after the game. He played with me as a defence midfield player, he played with me as a, as a second striker, he played with me like today in one of the double midfield players, adapted to to the needs of the team. He's a team player, he's a, a great character, we have a good relation and things are going really well between us. Well, keep your thoughts coming in. Loads of people sharing their opinion of Maro and Fellaini on social media. Use the uh, hashtag Peel tonight. I've already said he was the most mentioned player on Twitter across the whole day. Liam Canning says, this shows great mental resilience from Fellaini to bounce back after being booed at Old Trafford. Good on him. He deserves his success. Uh, Malashians says Mourinho has transformed young Fellaini, Rojo and Jones, and is getting some of the best form of their careers out of them. Give us an insight into what Jose is like as a man who manages players. You know, we saw last season when Mkhitaryan was nowhere near the team. We've yeah. seen it with Lindelof at times this season, Luke yeah. Shaw as well. He can look very hard on players from the outside, but then equally can do what he's doing with Fellaini, Rojo and Jones. And I think what he does, if he sees something in you, if he sees a reaction, I think the way he spoke about Fellaini there, you, you, know, you know that he's seen something that he likes in him, whether it's personality, strength, quality on the ball, and I think he, he then buys into you. Yeah. If he doesn't, I think he doesn't buy into you. He can put you to yeah. the side, and we've seen him do that at times. But I think he has a, a way, and I don't think it's so much even about actual tactics and what you do on the pitch. It's more that he trusts you and, and he sort of brings out that bit of personality in you. And he, he trusted you. He had you at the centre of so much here. Were you, a, at that time, a complete Mourinho disciple? You loved everything he did. That's, that's, that's why he was so good. We were so good when he first came because we were all, we were all about... We were in that good age, 24, 25-ish. Yeah. Hadn't won anything. And all of a sudden, Mourinho come in and like, we're going to be winners now, we're going to do this. And we were all like, yes, yes, boss. Do you know what I mean? And followed him. Do you know, like, the players know like, he was a little bit hard on show at mm. times. And yeah, there's been other players where... Does he try and provoke them? And then to see whether he gets a reaction yeah. to get them back on side, uh, the ones yeah. that are maybe not doing it as much as he'd like to. Yeah, I think he does. And I think... He is so thick-skinned and so you know one-track-minded to win. He doesn't. He doesn't accept if he sees like not not that in somebody. Do you know like what I mean? for example, as well. Yeah. He was quite yeah, harsh. Yeah. On him, wasn't it looks it? like he's testing them mentally. Like yeah. you hit them with something. Mm. You're going to stay down or you're going to get up and fight? Yeah. And if you get up, then he says, yes, right, that's the type of man I want in my team. And I think as players, that's what you want in your team. You don't want players who are going to get one hit and shy away from things. One bad pass in a game shy away from taking the ball again for the next 10-15 minutes because that's not how you win titles. You need players that are going to be brave receiving the ball, not just physically and tackling, but mentally receiving the ball and saying, listen, whatever happens here going forward, yeah. I will be with you guys shoulder to shoulder. And can he put his arm around a player if he senses that that's what a player needs or not? Yeah, he can. Right. Yeah, he can. And, he, and he's done it. He did it at Chelsea. And he, 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 can, he, can, he can do both. I remember Joe Cole was here. It was a great example because with Joe, he was really strong. I remember him subbing, I think, Joe and, uh, and Wright Phillips about 25 minutes into a game. Yeah. And it was harsh. You know what I mean? <laughs> as, as the numbers come up, you're harsh. like, oh, what, yeah. something's up here. But at other times, he would, you know, put his arm around Joe, speak well about him in the mm. press or something like that and give him a boost. So he's, he can do both sides of it. What was he like with you? Um, he was great. He was great. He. he um, 
Daddy Jose, wasn't it, Daddy? Daddy, yeah. <laughs> I love you, Jose. <laughs> but the, the first time round, he, he was brilliant. I'm not saying he wasn't so much a second. I was yeah. in a stage in my career where I was sli- slightly of a squad player by then. But, <laughs> but the first time round, he gave me such an, you know, cooked, I've cooked him lovely roast dinners and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Bought an apple into training every day. Uh, every day. Every day. What do you want, boss? Yeah. Is he a sort of manager that you can predict? Or is he your best mate on a Monday? Blank Sean on a Tuesday. You, you don't quite know where you stand with him and that's not yeah. necessarily a bad thing from his perspective. Yeah, I, I couldn't predict right. every day. That's there. hard, isn't it? Yeah, but that keeps you on your toes as well. You know, in a good way. I could predict his mood after a loss for about two or three days. <laughs> after that, I wasn't so sure. What, what sort of managers did you, did you prefer to plan? A manager who was just stable and solid and you knew where you were or someone that kept you on your toes? Just kept you in the dark a little bit? I, I like to know exactly where I stand. You like them or you don't. Yeah. I played well or I didn't. No shady grey areas. That's how I, when you're in a grey area and you're not sure, I think that leads to doubt when you go out into the football pitch. Mm. Once you know he's backing you, you can go out there and perform. And if you don't, if he's, you don't think he's backing you, you've got something to prove to someone. So I think as the top managers generally, they let you know where you stand and they get the best out of players in that way. I don't know. It's a difficult one for me because obviously feeling comfortable with a manager, a bit of complacency can come in from time to time. Under Rafa, he used to provoke me all the time and I feel like I played my best football under him. You're know, searching for a bit of praise and not knowing where you are with him yeah. brings the best out of you as well. So there's two sides. What are you like now with the guys that you manage? Do you have to be a little bit more careful with them being a bit younger or not? They're all different, really. What I've learned is they're all different personalities and characters. You know, some you can be quite strong on, some you'd have to maybe speak one-to-one or a quiet word. You'd have to manage them all different. Do you enjoy that part of the game? Yeah, it's fascinating, yeah. He says with a smile on his face. (laughs) I bet it is. Okay. um, well, look, we've spoken about a team who are just flying at the moment in the Premier League, but what about a team who simply aren't? Let's talk about Crystal Palace. It's been a very hard day for them. Here's the story of their day through the eyes of a fan. They say the definition of madness is um, doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. Yet here I am on the train to Manchester for the second week running to watch Palace play. This time we go without Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Christian Benteke. Freddie Ladapo, anyone? No, I didn't think so. 4-0 United, make sure you've got Lukaku as your captain on fantasy football. 2-0 here at half-time. Uh, two moments of quality from United undone Palace, who haven't been terrible actually. Rare sighting of a Crystal Palace shot on target. 4-0 to Man United, um, in case you was wondering. <laughs> um, as I said it would be when I sent in the video earlier on, so don't tell me I don't know about Crystal Palace. I fear that we just have to accept it. We are the boxer who's fighting in a weight class that he's not able to perhaps handle at this moment in time when you play Man City and Man United and you're going to take the blows to the chin and get knocked down. But I don't think we stayed on the canvas. I thought we tried to get ourselves up off there as best we could. Well, it's fair to say those comments about boxing um, and Palace haven't gone down very well with the fans. Robert says, we haven't got a weight class. We've got no fight, no guts. Just 10 people stood in the same shirt and someone picking the ball out of the net. Mark Drew, don't worry, we've already thrown the towel in. And Ashley Hammond, this whole division is out of our weight class. I mean, this is an incredible difficult, difficult thing for Roy to have to go and deal with. This is not his doing, the position that Crystal Palace find themselves in. But he is now a manager in the Premier League. And he's ended up at a football club bottom of the league, who haven't yet managed to score a goal, they have one striker, one fit striker on their books, Freddie Lopardo, who's an ex-Margate striker, and they're, they're scrapping around for, for freebies. What, what a disastrous situation to go into as a manager. I don't know where you begin. What does he do? <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough one. I mean, 
you've got to look at the players because I think they've got not some, those players. Think, have you? Well, I think they've got some. I think they've got some good players, uh, but the players have been underperforming. I think the club. It's a strange, cause they were a lot of people's fancy this year to be like outsiders to, to move up the table. Maybe it was a De Boer effect, thinking that he's going to come and play this beautiful football. But I find it it's really difficult for Roy. I, I felt a bit sorry for him there because, especially the run of games that he's walked straight into. Um, I don't think you can give away now. How many? Is that six or seven they've lost on the bounce? Uh, seven, seven on the bounce, not scoring a goal. Minus away. nineteen or something is I the goal think difference. You give away seven games and expect to get out of relegation. You think that? You think already Palace are done? Well, I can't see a seven-game start. They're not, they're not that good to recover on a seven-game start. You know, who knows? But looking at it now, I can't see it. I think he needs a transfer window and he, and he needs some, some good players in there. I think he's inherited a mess. Um, you know, they've tried to bring the board in in the summer and try and change the philosophy and the style, but they haven't got the players to do that. Uh, they're not good enough to play a, a Dutch style. And the board and the chairman have got it wrong in that appointment. And now Roy's got to try and pick them pieces up. And that's not going to happen overnight. He's going to need time to try and stiffen them up, get them organised, stop them conceding goals. Mm. But to get a bit of quality to add to what they've got, they need transfer windows. So you can't judge Roy Hodgson now. Mm. Mm. Which they're not going to get until they've played a few more games. And their next game is Chelsea. As we just saw there, they've lost seven on the spin. If we're totally honest, the chances are it's going to be eight because they're not going to be in that form and then go and beat Chelsea. It's, It's very unlikely. It's, a, it's a just an impossible situation to get out of. Do you agree with Frank that it's almost too much already? I think so, yeah. yeah. I think with the squad of players that they've got, I don't think they've got enough in there. Um, they definitely haven't got enough goals. As we've seen, they've not scored a Premier League goal all season. Um, a big miss has been for them, Wilfred Zaha. He gives them that little bit of unpredictability. That's someone who can take them from one end of the pitch to the other, bring two or three players to him and gives other people space. At the moment, they're lacking pace, any real direction in this team. And... To come and sit and, and try and take up pressure, you need some confidence in the attacking players mm-hmm. to go and nick you a goal here and there, and they have zero confidence at the minute. And you have to feel for Palace fans as well. It looked like there was a direction, and then you know they had the Alan Pardew didn't work out. Sam Allardyce at the very sort of last minute decided it wasn't for him. And now, that, how can you be in this position and well, not have I think a that's first the, choice striker on the books at your football club? I think that's what happens when you chop and change managers. When you chop and change managers so frequently, them names you've just mentioned there, and they've gone from. And Alan Pardew, who tries to get a balance of attacking and defensive football, to, to, to Sam Allardyce, and then to the Ajax Academy, the Ajax way of playing football, that doesn't even ring right when you say it, let alone try and put it into practice. Do you think they sacked him too early, or do you think they should have tried to force, you know, let him go and force that style of play? It's tough one. If you, if you give someone money to go and spend, and you invest in him initially, I think you've got to give him time. That's what I believe. I think if you chopping and changing and expecting Roy Hudson to come in and change what he's put into place from pre-season, that's a hard ask in itself. At least give the man you give the, the, the keys to at the beginning a chance, a fair crack at the whip. Uh, Mark Guyford says, what's the point? That's his three-word match report. He's a Palace fan. Been a bad night, hasn't it, to be a Palace fan once again. Uh, Nathan Sissoko finally scores. Um, he's obviously a Spurs fan. He's turning things around, I suppose, after a, another promising subs appearance today. Uh, Jack says, papers over cracks. West Ham fan who's not convinced after that 1-0 win against Swansea. Vital, though, that late goal for the Hammers, wasn't it? Huge, huge. Oh. Hard to satisfy some people, isn't it? Three points. You liked it, didn't you? I was buzzing with that three points. <laughs> <laughs> I was jumping around the Winnie Bago. <laughs> I love it when we say about the Winnebago on there. Um, Andrew Bransby, never give up. He's a Watford fan, which leads us nicely, actually, on to talking about Watford. Um, and Hornet Heaven, which is the Watford podcast, they sent this tweet last night, which made us laugh. They said, um, people always say there are mini-leagues within the Premier League. 
Yes, there are. That was sent last week. And they're even better now. They were sixth then. They're fifth now. Um, and we're now going to get the story of the day from Watford fan Andy. I, I imagine he rather enjoyed himself. What a fight back from them. Getting ready for West Bromwich Albion versus Watford this afternoon. Watford are on the look for their fourth consecutive away win of the season. Crazy few minutes and, and a horrible one defensively on Watford's part. And just a long, long ball, a goal kick, I think. And Rondon's just run onto the end of it and put it past Gomez. And then a couple of minutes later, we can't defend a set piece. And West Brom make it two, but Watford's response has been really good. Really, really important that we got that goal back through to Corey. Oh, my word. Another week, another away day. Another Watford goal in the final minute of play from Rich Arson. What a day. Watford were by far the better team, but just a three-minute spell in the first half meant that West Brom went 2-0 up. But then Watford battled back. Last season, we wouldn't have seen that. But this resilience, this, this team that we've got now, they fight back. And that is what we saw today. We saw a great response and a thoroughly deserved point. And Nathaniel Chalabar enjoyed it as well. As you know, he injured his kneecap, fractured his kneecap in training. He's out till the new year. But... He's done it again, reporting live from my hospital bed, talking about Richarlson's 95th-minute equaliser in that one. He enjoyed that point. Um, a, a little chat about Chalabar. Obviously, he's injured now, which is a real shame for him. How did Watford get hold of him for five million quid? Great business. I don't know. Strange. I think it must be something to do with it. I don't know how his contract was. I think it was maybe a year coming towards the end. Maybe didn't feel like the door was going to open for him here. And um, great for both. Great for Watford getting a really good player. And now... I know he's injured now, but yeah. what a great chance for him to play and push himself in the England. How good could he be? Really good. Really good. You know, England good? But he's in the England, been in the England squad now already once. Um, got all the attributes to play that holding midfield role. It's up to him to improve. I think he's done the right thing by going and playing yeah. uh, for a team where he'll play and be in the starting 11 week in, week out. That gives you the best chance to become a regular in the England squad. So credit to him for going and making that decision because he could have stayed here. Yeah, you know, be, I mean, yeah. you must have played with players where you look at them and think you just need to get out of this club because the club yeah. I think maybe too big. But I think there's a danger you stay at a club too long and yeah. become stale and lose confidence. People forget about you. Yeah. Particularly a club like Chelsea or Liverpool or Man United, the temptation is to stay at a club that's of that stature, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but the standard of players there, sometimes your pathway is blocked and it's impossible. Um, and I think the ones who want the easy life stay and they stay too long and they get forgotten about. I think the ones that have got ambition and desire get away and play and play week in, week out and prove to people that you're a top player at a top level. Let's talk then about Tom Cleverley in a sort of similar vein, I suppose. Man United to Everton and now to Watford. He needed to be playing football and playing football well and he looked great this season playing in that number 10. Yeah, and it's been a, a topsy-turvy career so far for Tom. He, he came into the Man United team, done ever so well. Him and Danny Welbeck had a yeah. great partner, partner um, link up in the team when they came in. It was, the, it was kind of just beginnings of a younger generation coming through. Then he didn't quite work out, went to Everton, and now he's here at Watford. But um, what he is, he's a fantastic professional. He works hard. He trains hard. He's really serious about his football. And he's someone who, uh, who wants to achieve and do well. He got in the England team. He was playing mm. on a regular basis. And um, I think he's really starting to turn the, turn the screw again and, and, and look towards back in the England squad. Because the team he's playing in now, I spoke to him a while ago, and he said the manager is fantastic. And in terms of detail and making the players understand what kind of tactics he wants, what the opposition um, possess. Uh, for in tactically against them, he sets them up perfectly to go out there and they're well equipped to deal with teams, and they're showing that right now. And we've looked at Marco Silva's points per game since he arrived in English football, and he arrived at Hull, of course. 1.3 average points per game, and that's at Hull and Watford. That's impressive. Very impressive, you know. And he came highly recommended by Jose Mourinho yeah. when he first came over, and 
I don't want to scare Watford for the fans, but they should enjoy him while he's here because if he carries on with ratios like that, I'm sure the big hitters are going to be lurking. I, w- I watched him um, here last year against Chelsea, and they, he'd just taken over at Hull and they were plummeting. They were, they were gone, really. And he, had, he was on the line, he organised them, was moving them around. They, made it really, they lost in the end, but made it really tough for Chelsea. Yeah. And you could just sort of feel that he had that bit of magic about him. Yeah. Lasagna Diara, probably not his real name, has messaged us to say Marco Silva is heading towards getting linked to Arsenal territory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> probably is getting close. Uh, right, let's hear from Rory Jennings. He's a Chelsea fan, he's got a question for you. All right, Frank, uh, my question is about Munich for you. And uh, one of my overriding memories from that wonderful occasion was the second Drogba slotted that penalty in, you didn't do what everybody else did, then run towards him. You ran towards us, the fans that were behind the opposite goal. And I just want to know why. Like, what was your, uh, what was your thinking there? It was uh, a wonderful moment, and you are the greatest man that has ever lived. Thank you for everything. I love you forever. Man. The greatest okay, great man. man. <laughs> your cousin. <laughs> this is cool. um, did Jose think we were the same, did he? Yeah. yeah. I, uh, no, I did run to the, I don't know why I ran to the fans. It was so far to Didier. Yeah, a few of us ran No, don't say that. It was so far. No, but it, well, it was so far to go to the far end. Yeah. Our fans were behind. I ran back, slid on my knees, and, and, a, and a fan who I've, who I've since met ran on to give me a... Um, a hug or whatever yeah. caught me with his elbow and cut my lip <laughs> oh, and it was killing me do you know what I mean it was really killing me and blood and all of a sudden from, from a moment of like the best moment of my yeah. life next minute I've got a dodgy lip and I'm just I'm wondering if it's cut and if it's all falling out are you kidding me no no yeah. what an amazing moment though what an amazing night well as I said we've all, we've all had it haven't we? and I think our one Stevie probably on the night was even more, well was more spectacular but our run was spectacular and the yeah. fact that we hadn't won it for a eight or ten years and been so near so far against Manchester United at the final made it even more special for us as a group. What is it for you guys when I say standout Champions League memory? Obviously winning it, yes. Mm. What's the moment? I think the cup, um, the relief, the relief, you know, I'm sure these feel the same when you first come into a big club, uh, there's a lot of pressure to deliver trophies and for me, I'd watch many videos growing up as a fan, mm. as soon as Phil Thompson, Emlyn Hughes and it always, people tell you about the history and, and the pressure, so to just get it up and, and release that pressure was a fantastic moment. Was it, was it Olympiacos, your goal, in the group? Was in, it? in the group yeah. stage, yeah. That, that's so, the last one I remember. We had to obviously win yeah. by the two clear goals, yeah. Yeah, special. I'd agree. Relief is one of the probably biggest emotions, yeah. biggest feelings that you have when once you get your hands on it, you lift it. Because you just, I've been to semi-finals, I've been to quarter-finals, just too far. And you, actually, you begin to think, mm, am I ever going to have the yeah. chance to get there? And then once you do, it's, you're standing there and just you feel, thank you very much. And I think you, because you've always aimed so high in your career to get to these stages, and at a club like that we've all been at, where there's loads of history and there's previous players that have lifted it, you never really feel on parity with them guys until mm. you kind of get your hand on the big one. And who was it that nearly made you cry? Was it Vida? No, no, it was Sir Bobby Charlton came down and started yeah. speaking to me about the history of it and what it meant to be the captain to go up them steps and pick up the trophy. Said a few nice, kind words and then I saw my family yeah. on the other side and it just got, it just hit me and my, my lips started going and I started to well up a little bit and I remember Vida just stood there and said, Rio, <laughs> Not here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I don't want you to set him up as well. And then, uh, yeah, I went, I saw yeah. And then we went up there and the rest is history. Were you uh, close to tears at any point? Because there must be a moment after what you describe as relief when it just settles down, you go back into the dressing room and you just get that dawning realisation that it has happened and it has happened to you. 
It's an emotional time and, you know, as Frank said, with the supporters and Rio mentioned it as well, and that's what it's about. And the first people you think of when, when you have a moment like that is the fans, all the backing they've given you, your family are in there as well, they're all emotional, so it's difficult to keep it in and it's, you get lost in the moment. Yeah. And, you know, looking back now, uh, you see pictures and video footage of, of all the emotions, but it's a, tough, it's a tough time as well because it's a release of all that, all that coming out. Did you cry? I didn't go to bed at night. I didn't cry. I was no. I was. Uh, I watched the game again at about five in the morning. You, you know, didn't. So, yeah. Did you? Yeah. But I can't really remember it that well. <laughs> Wait, what? Not on your own. You all got together as a, uh, as a group. And no, I, I, missed, I somehow I missed the party. The party went upstairs. I went to the toilet. Come oh, down. Everyone's missed sing. the party. Did you? <laughs> yeah. It's funny the one time. Once in his career. So, I, no, we there's had, a, we there's had, a message there. When you go to the toilet, you come back and the party's. Moved I don't, off. It moved on. No, we were in this room. Obviously, I went. I went to yeah. the. Um, Toilet came back yeah. and everyone had gone, and then it didn't, I didn't know there was a roof terrace where they carried on. So I went back to my room and watched the game again, with, you know, with a beer at the mini bar. Yeah, showbiz. Yeah, what a way to end that chat. I love that yeah. story. In a couple of moments, we're going to be talking about Harry Kane and also England as well. We're going to pick up on a couple of comments that Gareth Southgate made in the week after announcing uh, his England squad for the forthcoming games. Uh, more three-word match reports coming in to join the conversation. Use hashtag PL tonight. There's trouble ahead, says Mark, who's a Swans fan. Um, Steve says, another ruthless display. Who does Steve support, do you think? Man United. Yeah. Yes, Man United. Uh, typical De Bruyne, says Jack. And uh, Joanna says, not just Harry, hashtag C-O-Y-S. She was impressed with Spurs all over the pitch today. OK, well, uh, talking about Spurs, we've got a, a question here from Spurs fan John. John, the floor is yours. I have just a quick question to the panel. Uh, Stevie, Rio and Frank, how does Harry Kane compare to the best strikers you played with? Thinking Van Nistelrooy, Torres, Drogba, Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, OK, uh, so there's, uh, there's the question. What do you think? Right up there. Right up there. Different styles to Drogba, who I played with for such a big part of my career. Drogba always produced. His numbers might not have been quite as good as Harry Kane week in, week out, but he always produced in the big games, which Harry Kane is yet to. I think he will do. He needs to play those big games, but he's right up there. Is there a better informed striker in the world at the moment? I wouldn't say so. I think in, in Europe, in the top leagues, only Messi's got more goals in this calendar year. Um, so that tells you how high the stakes are and how well he's doing at the moment. I think he's a fantastic all-round footballer. I think his hold-up play is great. He can dovetail with, a, with a, a number nine or a number ten ever so well. And I think he's got different facets to his game. And I think what he does do, which you'd love to see when you're a player playing behind that, is he pulls the trigger at every given moment. He's always going to give you a chance in a game, whether it's a, a, against a huge team or any other, any other team. He will pull the trigger and take chances. And if I think really carefully, let me try and remember how many goals Messi has scored so far this season. So Harry Kane is on 36 2017 Premier League goals. Uh, Messi has got 43. I mean, he's getting up there, isn't he? He's getting up towards that sort of number. And uh, Ronaldo's got 31, if my memory serves me correct. I'm not getting that information from anyone. Um, <laughs> this is a tweet from Alan Shearer saying, Harry Kane can't be happy being taken off again when a hat-trick was on the cards, but I am. Hashtag, he's catching me. And if he stays in the Premier League, he could. He could catch Alan. Yeah, that's some compliments. Oh. Because Alan Shearer was ruthless in front of goal. Um, probably the best finisher we've seen in Premier League history. And For me, I work with Robbie Fowler a lot, who was you know, left foot, right foot, uh, obsessed with improving and... You only have to give them a little glimpse of the goal and they hit it with so much venom, no backlift. And, you know, he's closer than finishes and he's improving every single season. And he, he, you know, We're talking about him in a world-class bracket now and that's credit to him and how much he's moved on. He's got a long way to go though, hasn't he? 
It's going to be hard. I mean, he needs to stay fit. That's the biggest thing. Many seasons scoring goals. Yeah, it's a long way to go. You know what I like about him? To me, he's man-made. He's talented, obviously, but he went on loan for a few years. You can see he's worked so hard on his game on the training ground, and now he's become this world-class player. I just hope he stays fit. I hope he stays fit and he's blessed with a bit of luck as well, because I remember, sorry to take the tone of it, but Michael Owen was mm. a certainty to go and break the England record yeah. goal scoring, but yeah. injuries robbed him of doing that. So I just hope that he stays fit because as a talent, as somebody who can put chances away, as a leaf win the box, he's, he's right up there. Mm. OK, well, let's move the conversation on then to England. Uh, ben has sent in this question about England. How far can we actually go in this competition? I mean, if we couldn't win it with the likes of Rio, Stevie and Frank in the side, then, you know, I find it difficult to believe we're going to go much further with, with this set of players. I mean, as much as I like a lot of them, I just don't think they're technically very good when you compare them to the Spanish, the Germans and the Brazilians and so on. So it's difficult for me to think we can get anything past the last 16, but let me know what you guys think. OK, we, we were on a poll, actually, earlier, asking exactly that. How far will England go in Russia? 43% said group stage, 37% to the quarterfinals, uh, 9% to the semis, and a positive 11% of people believe that England are going to get to the final. Look, you all know what it feels like to play, not just in an England team, but in an England team that we, as a country, believe have got what it takes to go and do something special. Before the big tournaments, how much did you believe as an England player? Um, It's a tough one, because I was never a an over-optimistic person going into something. Yeah. I'd always sort of play it down in my own head and, and sort of just concentrate on the job in hand. And I never, I never got beyond too far down the line. So I'd have belief. We had a good squad, I knew that. But I also knew that there were other great teams out there. It's very easy to say England have not won it for years. It only comes around every four years. Mm. And there are fantastic teams out there in countries. So it's very tough. I mean, we, we didn't manage to do it. I think England will struggle to do it this time. I don't think the squad's developed enough. I think some good younger players and a bit of a mixture. I think there'll be good young players coming in the next batch for future tournaments, but I'm not sure with this one. Where do you think, looking at the current England squad, do you sit with the 43% that say group stage or the 11% that think we'll get to the final? I think it's very difficult to predict at the moment. I think they're in a comfortable group, which they're going to dominate. Uh, I think Gareth's being a breath of fresh air and is moving them forward and trying to get the right values and principles in this team. But when you come into a competition, you're going to be playing against your Germanys and your Brazils, your Argentinas, and that's when the competition gets very, very tough. And I don't think this group of players has had that test just yet. Mm. Yeah, I think we'll find it difficult to think about winning a tournament. I think that um, I think there's a development that's going on with Gareth Southgate. He's got his ideas of how he wants this team to progress. Um, it's, if you look at it in individually or in compartments of the team. I think defensively, I still think we've got a lot to do. I think you see the last couple of tournaments we've been to, we've been exposed defensively and we've been shown for what we are. Um, but also, going forward, I think sometimes that, that creative player to unlock a team, that, that all the other best teams have got that. Yeah. That's someone who can just do that bit of magic in the middle and release someone with a pass or something. Because I think we've got great runners, great athletes, um, the likes of Kane to f- who, can, who can finish, developing Rashford. But you've got to get the ball to these guys as well. You all know the pride that you have when you play for your country. I was really interested to see this quote from Gareth Southgate this week. And we know that the sort of maybe 10 or 12 players that he can't call upon because of injury or suspension. He says, am I entirely happy with the squad? No. You could well argue there are one or two in the squad who haven't necessarily warranted it on their performances. Now, as an England fan that wasn't talented enough to play for his county, let alone his country, that is an unbelievable admission, I think, I, I, from the I have to say, manager. when I saw that, I was like, whoa. Uh, why would you say that? 
If you think it, I get that and I understand what he's saying, but why do you say that to just fuel the fire within the media? There's enough interest that goes into this England squad already mm. to fuel it with comments like that and then put question marks and even more added pressure onto your players. I feel the manager's there to alleviate pressure and not bring it. I think on the other side, though, you've got to maybe... He is being honest, and, and, and it is the truth. Yeah. You know, he has got a lot of injuries, and he would like the squad to be stronger. I think sometimes we don't give managers enough credit for that honesty and the truth. Um, and, and a lot of managers straight back questions and, and protect themselves too much. And I think Garrett's being really honest. I think how he, he dealt with the Wayne Rooney situation and other situations that have gone on around the group, he's just being straight down the line and really honest. And I think he's done it the same there. I, I agree. I think it's true to an extent, yeah. no matter what, and that's a fact. Um, but the press will actually criticise managers and players for, for giving straight batted yeah. answers and not giving enough. Yeah, but as a player, minute, do you want to see that quote about? But what difference does it make? Uh, I think if I'm in the squad, I, I'm smart enough to know I haven't been that great, but because people are injured, I'm in the squad. I don't think anyone, unless they're deluded, thinks that they're in the squad. No, I think it's, it's a fair comment. Some people were there that hardly any game time recently, playing in teams that are struggling, not playing that well. He's had to put them in. Maybe it would be a cat to talk about Jose Mourinho and getting the best out of people. Mm. Maybe sometimes you, you lay it on the line. My squad is that. You've never been in that position where you're that guy who's on the peripheral of a squad, really, and, and when you're in, in, in the England squad and, and then a manager goes and you're lacking confidence going in anyway because you're, you're amongst big players and you think, you know what, I'm happy to be here. And a comment like that comes out of nowhere and you're like, does he even believe in me? Does he think I, sh I shouldn't even really be here? I'm not even going to be here next time. So I'm like, it's, it's hard. I, I think I, men mental, I mental saying, warfare in your own. But we know, like when you play for England, the pressure is, is massive. Let alone what the manager might say that. But if you come in and don't play well, eighty thousand at Wembley or a World Cup or the press will yeah. let you know it as well. So I understand. Maybe picking and choosing his words carefully, he wouldn't go there. But I do think you have to be tough as a player to get in there. I, it's one of those. Yeah. I, maybe he wouldn't say it, but I hate the way that the, the press jump on it and go, "Oh, why has he said that?" Well, you want honesty. There, there is. I think the top, the top managers alleviate pressure from their players 90% of the time, 99% of the time, because, like we just said, there, there is pressure anyway. And in England, with the national team, it's just magnified even more. Yeah. So I think he, to protect the players, I think, is the first stance of most managers, I'd say. The, the frustration for me on a quote like that is that I would rather he came out and said, do you know what, I've picked some young players who we're not 100% sure mm. are going to be future England internationals, but they're young, they've shown promise, they've come through the youth system... Now is the perfect opportunity to get them in the squad and see how they mix. And we had a look, actually, at some of the players that he could have gone for. Is it, would it not be better for him to fill the squad with a few players like this? We're talking about the squad, not the team. Uh, I think the frustrations of the media and the fans come with the squad that he's picked because a lot of players in there have not played the minutes. Mm. And they can see other players who are playing around the Premier League, like we've seen there, who have put work in in under-21s, like Nathan Redmond. Yeah. Uh, players that are playing 21 football like Tammy Abrahams and scoring at Swansea City, etc. You could go through a list of players that you, mm. you say look, they, they could have chances of England. Let's have a look at them. And that's the problem. There's players that are in there that haven't got the minutes but are, are getting in and getting a shirt. And we're not expecting people to look at those names and say, yes, they should be in the England team. But, you know, they all do a job for their club. And there are players in that England squad where Gareth Southgate knows them inside. He knows exactly what they're going to bring to this England party, whether they play or whether they don't. Yeah, he does, but I think sometimes it's a difficult position for him as well. You know, if he picks them names on the screen, people say, oh, they've got no experience, they're mm. not ready. Um, and then he goes the other way, picks a bigger squad with a bit more experience, and people are saying he's saying the wrong things in the media, so he can't <laughs> yeah. win. It's, uh... Did you find that when you were playing for England, you literally, you can't win? Mm. Uh, unless you win. Unless you win. <laughs> yeah. And then you've got to win. Yeah, which comes around every two yeah. years. You know, did you, did you feel the pressure more playing for England? I've heard people talk about the fact that when you're in that shirt and you misplace a pass or something goes wrong... 
It was mad pressure. Was it? Yeah. For England because the expectancy, the expectancy on our team, especially because we're all doing, doing so well with our club teams, yeah. they expected that to just transfer into the England team. Yeah. But you've got to have a manager that puts the team together correctly and then the players have got to gel and then we've got to perform. And all them things didn't happen. So we had to ourselves to blame, but I think collectively as a, a squad, management, etc., I think we all, we all didn't come up to the standard we, we were shown with our club form. And that was the reason why we had so much pressure and, and intense media scrutiny. Mm -hmm. Tell us what that pressure is like, because almost everyone watching this will never experience it. Yeah, it's brutal, you know, especially as you went along as well, the more older we got, with the social media coming into it, it become even bigger, and it's even worse for the players now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I felt a different pressure playing for England. Um, I always felt more comfortable at Liverpool. I felt like if I had a bad performance with Liverpool, it would be forgiven a little bit easier because they see you week in, week out. Whereas when you went with England, the games were isolated and you sort of put too much pressure on yourself if you like to perform. So it was different. Mm. Three word match reports continue to come in. George, who's a Huddersfield Town fan, says rabbit in headlights. It's a hard day for them today, but they've equipped themselves well to the Premier League. James Guy says should have won. He's a Bournemouth fan. And Greg Taylor, Bilic still goes. He's obviously got a long way to win over those West Ham fans, hasn't he? Slavin Bilic. Right, time to talk captains. And first of all, you on the very best captain you've seen for your football club. The captain I grew up with, and always my favourite, and always the legend, Richard Dunn, the greatest ever City captain, a man who played like a fan, a big strapping lad, everything you could want from a captain, and more. It's got to be Alan Shearer, hasn't it? Alan Shearer, captain of Newcastle, representing one of us as a Geordie, come home in 1996, turning down Manchester United, shooting towards the Gallagher, became our top scorer of all time. Such a good, talented defender, but also brilliant on the ball, um, a great ambassador for the club still to this day. Uh, and a one-club man as well. So for me, it's definitely uh, Lenny King. How he's never got more England caps, I do not know. Um, it's, it's an absolute scandal, in my opinion. Ryan Shawcross, Stoke City, legend, hero. Tony Adams, he used to organise the team, used to shout instructions and keep them at the Arsenal when they needed it. We beat Sheffield United on penalties at Wembley uh, to win promotion to the Championship and, and I'll never ever forget seeing Peter Clark's face as he lifted that trophy at the end. He was the proudest man in the entire world uh, a top skipper and a, and a, and a great man. Oh, lovely, love that. Um, lots of you getting in touch. Um, at Unreal Matic says, uh, Nemanja Vidic gave us everything on the pitch, an absolute warrior and a beast of a defender who never let the club down. Stuart Meek, uh, Brian Robson, Captain Marvel, doesn't seem to even do him justice in today's market. He'd be a £150 million pound man. Um, and at Kabai Loves Hugs, Miles Jedinik, the current situation at Palace would not have been allowed to happen under his watch. Um, what about you guys? Best captain that you played under in your careers? Um, JT was a good captain with yeah. England. Um, when I first broke into the England team, Tony Adams, I remember being in the dressing room and being so nervous, really scared to go out. It was full of big, big leaders in the dressing room and Tony Adams said to me, youngster, don't be worried, don't be nervous. The responsibility is on us, you just enjoy yourself. And I thought that was a proper class moment, you know, being a young kid. And, and that had an impact Took a lot you. of pressure off me yeah. and I just remembered it moving forward when I become a captain. Um, I'd say Roy Keane. When I went to Manchester United and you'd seen him lift trophies and you'd heard about everything, but more than anything, he ran the training ground. The work ethic, the application. If people weren't pulling their weight or applying themselves in training on a day-to-day -day basis, he would pull them up individually, but also round up the group and, and speak. How ruthless is a Roy Keane run training round? Yeah, he probably ended careers with some verbal volleys. <laughs> yeah. It's always positive, seriously. Yeah. Though. That's true. Like with younger players, if he's 
given it to them. Is that, is that a good captain? Do you know what I mean? I don't think so all the time. I think you've got to pick and choose your punches. You've got to pick on certain personalities and work, work out who, could, who you think could take the, that criticism. And I think that was an important factor. But I saw some, some young lads get destroyed and, and then, then they're looking around for a bit of help to, to pick them back off the floor. But um, he was... He was he had no qualms in doing that because he thought he was doing the right thing. And, that, and to be fair, that's what I really lo did love about him. You knew exactly where you stood with him. He said it how he, how he thought. And, and, and that's the way, the way he lived his life. It's about setting standards, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. In your behaviour, in the way you play, in the way you train every day. John Terry would be my... I mean, I played on him for so long. Um, he did all those things. And not just what you saw on the pitch. It was silly things behind the scenes, like you know, having everyone's phone number everyone in the squad, maybe even some of the staff and the tea lady, and he would have everyone's number. And I, as a vice-captain, I couldn't have did that role. That wasn't for me. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So John, John kind of runs silly things in the week that make a difference, organising a dinner and stuff like that. And they really worked. Together. So they had a real impact on bringing the squad together. Yeah, it did, but we, we, we also had other captains. We had Didier, who was sort of captain of the African-French side of the dressing room. Yeah. You know I mean, I was soft, you know, quieter than John, but would hopefully train and set a bit of a standard by, by hard work. And then John was the, it's all... all all-powerful captain, I suppose. Did you look at him wanting to be the captain or, or actually did the vice-captain role no, suit no, you? No, suit me completely. I, I loved wearing the armband when, yeah. it, when John wasn't playing. You know, I felt proud to wear the armband, but it certainly suited me. I, as I say, John had all the phone numbers. I didn't. I just, I just went home after training. <laughs> and <laughs> got, he, and got on with my life. I think that's important. So he genuinely, it wasn't just about the first-team squad and the players mm. around him. He would get in contact with all kinds of people at the club to make the whole club feel together. Yeah, to, to a degree. You know, some, some events, as clubs have got bigger, I think some things are not your responsibility. Yeah. But in terms of the squad and the group, he was, uh, he was you know, the captain, the boss of the, the group. I think the important thing as well, there's different types of captains. Like Tony Adams, you said there, he was vocal, he was a leader. He, he identified yeah. little situations or, or things within the squad that he'd go and he'd attack straight away and meet head on and be very verbal in that. But there are some captains who were, were probably less verbal, but influenced through showing people on the pitch, showing people in training. In training. I think Stevie, I would say, when he, when he had been captain, he was the doer. Yeah. He was the guy who would influence a squad or mm. team by performance, by moments, big moments and grabbing them. And I think that's as powerful as somebody giving you verbals. Mm. Well, we've actually got a question for you <laughs> from, uh, from Neil, who's uh, with the Anfield Wrap. Have a listen to this, Stephen. I thought it was really interesting when Gerard Houllier took the captaincy off Hippier and gave it to Stephen Gerrard. It's this idea, I think, that sometimes you can use something to, to motivate and shift a player on even more. And I thought it was, you know, that worked at that time for Gerard Houllier. What's always got my attention is how much of it's done away from the public eye. We can see that pointing and shouting on the pitch or even leading by example, as Stephen did. And even great moments like when he took his top off at Fulham. What I'd like to know is how much, how much of the work don't we see that goes into captaincy? How much of it happens behind the scenes? How much of it's training ground? How much of it's dressing room? And is that the way in which you get you find out who a leader really is from the way they are in the quiet moments, not just when it's time to be loud? Yeah, I think it is that. I think it is a, a daily thing. You know, you do do little sort of things behind the scenes by pulling people one on one and speaking to them. I was lucky at Liverpool having Cara because Cara was a voice and, and he was a noise and. You know, he'd encourage people vocally. He'd also have a go, a bit like the Roy Keane situation, yeah. trying to provoke people. And I could go about it a different way. So I think we bounced off each other really well. So I think a big part of my captaincy was having Carter as my rock and, you know, having my back and everything I wanted to do, whether it be off the pitch or on the pitch. Yeah. I knew I had his backing. And I think Frank and JT were probably the opposite. Yeah, yeah. JT is vocal, Frank's the calm one behind the scenes. So 
I think captains also need a bit of backup around it as well, and Jamie certainly helped me do that. But a captaincy is a daily thing, not just mm. when you turn up to play and put the armband on. And I think it is it's true. It's within if you've got squads that are going to go and win things on a regular basis, you, you ain't one person that's going to drive that. Yeah. You've got lieutenants in that that change room. You've got different people who've got different roles within that that change room. You had Giggsy was the experience, was someone who can just pull people on the side and give a quiet word, especially people in the attacking areas. Even defenders, he'd speak to me about what, how attackers mm. attack defenders and where he should probably be or make it difficult for him. And you had, you had Vida, who was the, the person, the blood and thunder. I'd maybe speak to people a little bit subtly or I'd pull people or the, the, the training, the way you are in training and the, the, the way you win and lose in training, etc. So there's so many different levels of, of captaincy, but if you've got a group you can cover all them bases, then you want to a good thing. See, I remember watching at home, it was when you were really vocal on the pitch in, in a group with the lads. It was the win over Manchester City, wasn't it, a few seasons ago? And I had goosebumps watching that at home. Was that a, was that a conscious decision of yours that you, that at that moment, you thought, right, I need to do something public now? Or was... No, it was just off the cuff. It wasn't a planned thing. It was just probably lost in the moment emotionally and just thought it was the best thing at the time. It obviously wasn't because we didn't go on to win the league, but... I wasn't someone who planned things. I just went off the cuff and done what I thought was the best thing at the time. And a lot of it did happen behind closed doors. A lot of it was what, just quiet conversations with people if you thought they were struggling. Or That was my style, yeah, to go more one-to-one. -one. I'm not a believer in, you know, if you see a young kid or anyone who's had a bad time or a bad thing, to actually go for them and, and, and really try and provoke them in front of a, gr a group of people. I always thought you get a better reaction out of someone 1v1 away from it. Look, look at them in the eye and tell them what you really think. Whether that be a good thing or a bad thing, I think they respect you more by pulling them away from the group. And finally, in your time as captains, vice-captains, is, is there something you look at where you think, yeah, do you know, I absolutely got that right. I, I nailed that as, as the leader of the group. I mean, maybe for you it would have been half-time in the Champions League final. Yeah, there was. Obviously, there's a lot of highs as a captaincy as well, but I also look back and think I should have done things better than different in the things that went wrong as well. Yeah, I think, there's, I think it's actually going out there and doing stuff and, and people seeing the example. I think, that's, for me, that was a big part of it. Frank? Same, it was more everyday training, setting examples, that's what I tried to do. I wasn't a big mouth, it was more trying to train hard and try and see young boys. Set the standards. Yeah, for, yeah. for youngsters too. So. Great, do you know what, I've really enjoyed that this evening. Thanks for listening to the Premier League Tonight podcast. We return after the international break on Saturday the 14th of October as Arsenal visit Vicarage Road to take on Watford. Now, please subscribe to ensure you receive each week's podcast direct to your device every Saturday night. And if you enjoyed the show, which I'm sure you did, please leave us a five-star rating and review us on iTunes. 